it is good to be back with you all. I appreciate you. I'll take it personal. I appreciate you all uh, having us up. It's, a, it's an encouragement to us to try to be an encouragement for you, if that makes any sense at all. I think the ones I feel the worst for is my family has to listen to this twice because uh, what I do is I'll take, and I do this intentionally, I'll take the last X number of messages that I've preached and I bring them. And I, I do it this way, kind of the same reason for what I do at home. Um, th- this was a passage that I really did not want to preach when I was at home. There's some things going on. It just kind of it hit, and I would have rather gone through something else. But as we go verse by verse, this is what comes up, and I've just got to trust that God knows what he's doing, and He, uh, this is where we were. And it, um, I trust that he'll use these passages uh, to to help you and to challenge us. We need this. So it's, um, I trust that God will use it. I'll go ahead and take my turn for just a minute. I didn't share a testimony. I, I'm very thankful how God works. Um, there are times when, uh, and maybe you've experienced this, all of a sudden somebody comes to mind and you're praying for them. You have no idea why you're praying for them. And there was one of those, one of our missionary families uh, had to contact this morning and uh, turns out both of them are down and they're having trouble. And um, it's just exciting when, you know, God works and the timing, the timing, just, God knows what he's doing. And that's an exciting thing to see. So anyways, okay, well, let's go ahead and get into our, our new text. Uh, we're going to be looking, we're going to be starting with verse six uh, of Acts chapter 15. Now, while you're getting there, uh, have you ever been either at a conference or maybe you've been in a meeting with somebody and, and somebody, there's multiple people speaking, and when one of them starts speaking, it's kind of, you know, okay, I hear you. I, I hear you. This is fine. Not a big deal. And there, there's, you just, they don't have your ear. But somebody else can stand up and say the exact same thing. I'm starting to move already. I'm sorry. <laughs> somebody can stand up and say the exact same thing and you perk up. They get your attention and it's two guys saying the same things. But one of them, it's not that you disagree, but one of them has your attention and one of them doesn't. And unfortunately, it's a reality. And there's people I've heard and, you know, they again, and I, well, I've been on the other end of it where I can say something and people are going, oh, blah, 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 blah. and then somebody says the same thing and that's really a good idea. And you're scratching your head wondering, no, what, what is it we're not hearing? But this happens. And that, that what happens when, with that in our lives is the same thing that we're going to see happening in our text today. We're going to have somebody who has been saying something and they have been extremely intense and extremely passionate. Somebody else is going to come along and say the same thing and people are going to go, really? This is good. And it's frustrating to a point, but we've had Peter, scratch that, Paul and Barnabas, they've been pushing in the, whole, in the passage we look at in the first five verses, they've been pushing and saying salvation is by grace through faith alone. And people are debating. They're wanting to fight it. They're wanting to say, no, 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 no. You've got to add Judaism to this thing. And then Peter's going to step up and Peter's going to give his spill and everybody's going to go quiet. And he's saying the exact same things. See, these, this issue 
that we're going through is huge. Most of you are here for Sunday school, so you get a little bit of repeat, but this issue is huge. This issue that they're looking at, this has the potential of dividing this 10-year-old, brand new church, and this has happened before, but this has the potential of dividing the church into the Jewish and the Gentile factions. There would be, if this happens, there could be two churches. And that is not what the intention was. And I I mentioned this earlier this morning. Let me just say this again. This is a goal of Satan. Satan wants division. As you and I start having conflict, we've got to, that should be one of the first thoughts that pops into our head. Wait a minute, Satan wants division. God wants unity, not uniformity. God wants unity. Satan wants division. That should, that should affect how we come at any issue that we're going through. Satan is the one who wants this division. So it's a common goal. What he will do is divide and he will sow discord. That's what Satan continually does. Okay. Um, did I give you the right PowerPoint? We're good to go. Let me catch you up. And if you've misspelled something, you can erase it. and Nobody will ever know. So let's look at our our notes. I'll catch up on the first one. And uh, we're going to start with the controversy. This is verses 1 through 5. Just for context, let's go ahead and read these verses together. And then I'll go over these points. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation, in other words, this was a big heated debate. This was nasty. They they had this nasty debate with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, certain of the leaders, should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come down to Jerusalem, I'm sorry, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So in these verses, we saw, first of all, <coughs> the controversy. The controversy, and that controversy is what is necessary for salvation. Is it faith? Or is it faith plus works? That was the controversy. First point was the circumcision heresy. The circumcision heresy. And again, faith plus works. That's what they're trying to teach. You must have works. You must add to what Jesus has done for your salvation. And that was also going to have an effect on their fellowship with each other. It would be damaging that fellowship. And we're going to see that addressed a little bit later on. Then the second thing was the confrontation. Paul and Barnabas, they are adamant. It was a heated debate. They're saying, absolutely no way do we want you guys coming in and messing with our the people we're discipling. And then we saw the chorus of praise, point C. And really the main point through that one was that concept of you and I, we need to be careful as we're walking through life and doing our normal everyday things it should be intentional. It should be looking for opportunities to, to share the gospel. Rephrase that. To build relation, redemptive relationships so that we can share the gospel effectively. That's what we must be 
actively trying to pursue. And then point D was the challenge. And that was verse number five. This group, they're, just, they're mixing in their logic with the gospel and, and they're insisting that everyone else take these extra steps and follow what their opinions are. And that's the problem. That's where problems come in. When you have to do my application of scripture, I've got a problem. So that's the condition that, this, that the church is in at this point. So to solve this problem, these church leaders down in Jerusalem, right? up in Jerusalem, however you want to look at that, south but up higher, the church leaders, they're going to look at what God has done. This is important. They're going to look at what God has done in their experience, in their own personal experience. That's what they're going to center on for a little bit. This can be iffy. If you're determining what is right and wrong based on your experience alone, you're on shaky ground. Experience cannot determine truth if that's all you've got. It's kind of the same thing today for us saying, here is my preference. Here is my application. Therefore, you're wrong if you don't do it the way I think it should be done. You're on shaky ground. We need to stick with the word of God. And that's what James is going to do for us. As he comes to the table, he's going to validate what Peter and Paul and Barnabas, what they're saying, he validates it with the word of God. Now people hear me, that has got to be our go-to. The word of God must be our final authority. And, and, and this is something that I run into once in a while. It is not you go find a Bible verse that you can use and you can spiritualize or you can draw some application for and make it say what you want it to say. We need to go to the word of God and say, God, what do you say about this issue? And if God doesn't say anything about this issue, we can't push it. You can draw application for you. But we got to be careful how far we go in taking those next steps. That's the problem that they're having here. But the apostles, they're going to go to the Word of God in this chapter and they're going to give a clear, definitive answer for the problem that they're facing. Okay? So, let's have a word of prayer and we'll look into our new text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us. Lord, again, I, I, I beg of you this morning, please Help us to concentrate on your word. Help us to be attentive. Lord, please block out the distractions that are in every one of our minds. Cause us to, to focus on your word. And Lord, I ask that you would reward that, that you would minister in our lives through your word. Use it to change us. Use it to mold us to your image. And God, I pray that we would be edified. We would be built up. As a result of our time here in your word, as a result of our time with other believers, God, I pray you would use this time. But most of all, Lord, would you please in some way glorify yourself. I ask for your help as I preach to keep me free from error. Please help me not to be a distraction to the message you desire to be presented this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, point number two. So now you've got your one... Uh, if are any of you OCD? Anybody? I know there's one here that's OCD. Okay, a couple of you. If you don't come next week, you're going to have blanks that are not going to be filled out. Okay? And if you miss a blank, your life will be over. It's just, it's, just, it's awful from there on down. So you got to come next week for Sunday school. Okay. 
Some of you didn't get that. That's a joke. It's lame humor, but it's okay. Um, So the consideration of the problem. Consideration of the problem. Verse number six. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. They came together to get, they wanted to get together on this problem. So the problem is being brought to the church. And and, and let me say this. It's not just the leadership that's there. This matters. Look look down. We're going to see this later on. But look down into verse uh, 12. All the multitude kept silence. There's a bunch of people there. Look down into verse 22. Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church. The church is interested in this thing. We get this idea sometimes that, okay, we come to church, we're going to sit back, we'll just let everybody entertain us and do our thing. We scoot out the door and we're, we're all done. This is, the church was involved in this. The church wanted to know doctrine. If you are a born again follower of Jesus, doctrine should matter. The happenings of the church should matter. You should be actively interested in what's happening in this living body of this church. And if you're not, Shame on you. You need to ask God to give you this. Ask God to renew this joy in you. The Christian walk should not be a drudgery we go through or something we just tack onto our lives. It should be, Jesus is our life. He's the one that we live for. Okay, that was another side thing. So, they bring these problems before the church. And now what we're going to see is the arguments made. And you can say three or four because you can combine Paul and Barnabas because that's just one argument. But we're going to see why the false teaching is wrong and why salvation through grace, by grace through faith alone is right. And that's what they're going to address. So your first one, God's previous choice. God's previous choice. So verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, we'll stop right there in mid-sentence. There had been much disputing. This is the same word up in verse 2 with that disputation. In other words, there was a bunch of heated arguments going on. This was not a pleasant conversation. This was getting heated. And Peter, this this is not what I would picture Peter doing. It's saying that Peter, after there had been this disputing, then he rose up. In other words, Peter kept his mouth shut. Peter, what is he known for? Open mouth, insert foot, wiggle it around, mess things up. That's Peter. Peter kept his mouth shut. And here's what's happening in Peter's life. It should be happening in our lives. Peter's growing. Peter's changing. And what he's doing is 100% biblical. Because what what Peter is doing here is Proverbs 18.13. He's not answering a matter before he hears it. When we answer a matter before we've heard it, that makes you, I'm paraphrasing, it makes us a shameful fool. It's folly and shame to us. Peter is keeping his mouth shut. He's hearing both sides. He's getting all the information. And keep in mind, this this debate, this is not something like we would do. And you guys want me out of here in 35 minutes. They were not sitting down and having a time limit of an hour and then they're out of there. This thing could have gone on for hours or days. Peter is just taking it all in and then he's going to give his judgment. 
And his judgment is based on what God had done. It's an activity, an instance that God performed. Okay, so what did God do? Second half of this verse. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, this is important, God, God made choice among us that by the Gentiles, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. A good while ago, a while ago, this happened. So we know he's referring back to Cornelius. This is roughly 10 years prior. He's talking back in Acts 10 and 11. He's saying God made a choice. God chose. And yes, I'm pushing this phrase. God did this. God opened the gospel to everybody. If you, again, leave here with nothing else but this, God opened it for you and me to come to him. We should be praising God for that. And God did this. God opened it to everybody. And Peter learned something through this. Peter learned, you'll remember these phrases, God is no respecter of what? Doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter who you are. God is no respecter of persons. He is not willing that any, what? Should perish. perish. He welcomes us. Thank God for this. And you know you. You know why he shouldn't, so to speak, have received you. But he does. He's no respecter of persons. God said, don't call unclean what I call clean. He, in other words, says, don't oppose God. God is in this thing. God wants all to be saved, and it's not through Judaism. God's in it. And Peter came back from that instance, and he had to defend what he had done to these Judaizers. They've been through this before. This is not round one for these guys. And he's saying here, into verse uh, 7, that they, they had heard the word of the gospel, and they believed They considered something true. They considered something worthy of their trust. I struggle sometimes, and maybe I shouldn't, with this word believe. Because if you go to James, you believe in one God. Is that a good thing? Yeah, you do well. Who else believes? Satan believes. Okay, that's why I struggle with the word believe. Because the way we use it in our terms, you can take it in, in, in both ways. This is talking about they put their trust in something. They put their dependence. I am going to bank my eternal security in what Jesus did and not one iota on what I can do or have done. That's the point that he's getting at. These people became converted. Verse 8. And God, he's pushing this, and God, he knows the hearts Bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So God, who knows the hearts, gave this testimony. That's the wording there. He bare them witness. God gave witness for them on their behalf. God himself gave a testimony to say, this is legit. Now, before we hit that one, notice it says uh, before that, God which knows the hearts. Now, I, I'm, I have been described as not an intellectual. 
In other words, I am not the sharpest tack on the board. I get it, and I'm okay with that, okay? I know I'm one of those below-average people who can't do a lot, and that's okay because I know this. I know this fact. God chooses for his purpose to use weak things, and I like that. And if God can use a weak, dull tack to do something, this is awesome, okay? Here, I just lost my train of thought. That was a bad one. He knows the hearts. That's it. God, he knows the hearts. God, I don't like the, that's where I was getting at. That word heart, when I think of it, I think, or I think of something, if you get grossed out, easy, plug your ears. I think of something I cut out of a deer and I eat. Okay, I like that kind of stuff. That's, that's a heart to me. That's not what he's talking about, right? He's talking about, we would call it our control center. He's talking about here, you know, our mind is what makes us tick. It's what controls our character, our feeling, our thinking. God is saying, I know there's no secrets with me. You don't keep anything from me. God knows what makes us run. And he gets it all. We don't keep anything. And, and that's where I like that verse. Man sees the outside. And that is true. We've got to be careful about that because man does see the outside. But God goes further. God can see that heart. God sees our inner motives. God sees our character. So God, which sees all this, God, bear him witness. God gave testimony knowing, okay, I see what's making these guys tick and I am approving of them. I am all behind this thing. And so what he did was, how did he bear him witness? He did that by giving them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit when they believed. He showed his acceptance by giving them the Holy Spirit in the exact same way that the Jews had received it. There was no difference. And we know, Romans 8, 9, nobody, no one, only Christians have the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's making this very clear. There is no difference. And that word no is that strong one. Absolutely, positively, zilch. There's no difference. There's no exceptions, meaning <coughs> there are no second class Christians. There's none. And you and I, just as it's so easy to look at these Jews and say, What's wrong with you people? Receive them. Okay, let's, let's throw that back at us. What's wrong with you people? Receive them. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to receive. There are no second class Christians. And here's his point. If the Holy Spirit didn't put any differentiation between Jew and Gentile, what right do you have to start throwing in these barriers? We don't have this right. We're commanded. Romans 14 is talking about the, the disputable issues. We don't, we don't have a right to, to uh, reject. We are commanded in those first four or five verses, receive each other that is the command that's what we're are we're expected to do but the jews these jews they're all wrapped up they're all consumed with this ritual cleansing they gotta have everything their way and you here we i can just picture the yakking that's what they're wrapped up with and christians we do the same thing we get wrapped up with our little yakking Close your mouth and receive people. That's not in the original. So let's just keep going. Uh, they were wrapped up with this, but God is not. God is able, like we're not, he's able to look on the heart. He's able to see, here's what's making Rick tick. 
and I've received him, so therefore you need to receive him. I'm going to establish him. I'm going to make him stand there. Well, you better receive him and vice versa. That's the point that he's pushing. And it says here in uh, verse 8, I believe it is, they were purified. Nine. Verse 9, he purified their hearts. Now, I'm going to throw some synonyms out. You pick the one you like. It makes no difference. Because here's what he did. When he purified, he it literally, he made them clean which means they're forgiven, they're saved, they're redeemed by faith alone. They've entered that relationship. And get this, it's not by keeping the law. It was by faith. It was by putting their trust in Jesus. Go to verse 10. Now therefore, okay, because this is true, because of what God has done, why are you tempting God? God is the one you're fussing with. God has spoken and you're testing him. You're messing with the wrong being is what he's getting at. You've got a problem. Why are you tempting God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which we either, neither our fathers nor we. We're not able to bear this. We can't do it. Now this wording that he uses when he says you're testing. Why are you testing This word is the same thing that was used back in the Old Testament when the children of Israel, remember they were going through the wilderness and they tested God? That's not something these Jews like to have brought up and thrown in their face. But that's what he's doing. You did this. And he's using this word. You are testing God. So it's it's really, it's it's a rough language. And then he brings up this, this concept that you're trying to put these people back under a yoke. Now, a yoke always has this idea of a restriction. It's an obligation. And you know, we, we like this. God has given freedom, right? He has given us freedom. And some people don't like this word, but you know what? He has. He has given us freedom. We are dead to this law. Now that doesn't mean you become lawless. But we are not under this system anymore. And obviously... For salvation, no way. We're not under the law. There is nothing we need to do that is under the law in order to be saved. But even these weak Jews, we saw it a little bit earlier this morning, in verse 5, they are insisting on their logical conclusions being followed. They're insisting that their applications of Scripture be followed by other people. And Peter's saying, no, that is not what this is about. We're not under this bondage. Now, when I read this, it's easy for me to get disappointed in those Jews. It's easy for me to look at them and say, you know, can't you see anything? Can't you see the truth? But it is a continual process that you and I go through in our lives. We need to continually change. We need to continually learn to show grace to other people. We struggle with this. And I can say we because I know I do. We, I have a hard time at times showing grace to someone who differs with me. And here's why. Okay, I love me very much. And I am a wonderful person. And how dare you think that I'm wrong? Do you see the, the, the arrogance? The pride that's in this. This is just totally self-centered. But people, this is how we think sometimes. 
We are some nasty people. And the quicker we understand how nasty we are, the quicker we're going to understand how much grace God has shown to us. And the quicker we'll love Him more. We need this. So it's easy to get disappointed with them. But the Jews, I got to give them a little bit of a little bit of slack in some areas, but on this one it's hard because they've already gone through this before. You remember I mentioned that when they came back, when Peter came back from being with Cornelius and they fussed at him, and Peter had to explain it, and they and they rejoiced. They said, "Yes, this is great. Salvation has gone to the Gentiles. They've already been through this thing. They've already been taught this lesson, and they're not getting it." Again, doesn't this describe us sometimes? How many times do we have to be told over and over and over by God himself? Wake up, Rick. And this is what they're going through right now. Now, we know the law couldn't do it, right? Romans 8, 3. What the law couldn't do, God did it through Jesus. We needed Jesus. Jesus is the only one that could do this. And that law was a burden. That's why I like Matthew 11. At the end of, end of Matthew 11, Mary says, you know, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. The idea, it's well fit, it fits right. You can handle this. This is, it's comfortable for you. It makes keeping it much, much easier. Now, if that's true, and it is, it is true. Why isn't obedience, why aren't we just always obedient? Here's the issue. It doesn't, make, it doesn't mean that obedience becomes easy. It means that following Jesus is not, we're, we're not under a constraint, not that we stop sinning. The contrast that he's offering here is us doing enough to be saved versus Jesus having done it all. We don't have that bondage. We don't have that burden. Jesus took that burden from us. And I'm thankful for that. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Notice he starts, and this happens a lot in Acts. If you, when you read through Acts, look for the word but. It happens a lot. It's a, he contrasts constantly. So what's he contrasting? Salvation by keeping works versus grace through faith. He's contrasting man's work versus Jesus' work. That's his whole point. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a long word and you can, you can just say it with one word. The gospel. Through the gospel. Through what Jesus has done. We can be saved like them. That's backwards, by the way, for a Jewish mind. The Jewish mind is going to say, they can be saved just like we are. Because we've got our act together. No, he said, we can be saved like they were saved. So for the Jews, that would have been like a, a little bit of a rub. This would have been a hard thing for them to hear. So Peter, what he's doing is he's evening up this playing field. And he's saying, okay, people, we're all saved the same way. It's by grace, through faith, not of works. There is Peter's judgment. That's what Peter has brought to the table. He's saying, we're not better. We're not more advanced than they are. So don't add any burdens to them. There's Peter's. That brings us to point B, God's miraculous confirmation. Now, Peter, Peter has, his speech was very compelling. Look at verse number 12. Then all the multitude kept silence. 
That's, that's a big deal. A whole group of people closed their mouth when Peter spoke. And they gave audience. They listened to Barnabas and Paul. Notice it switched. It's usually Paul and Barnabas at this point. Barnabas is more known. He's the elder. The Jews respect him more. And they, they put him first. Declaring what miracles and wonders, those are plural, God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So what they're doing when Paul and Barnabas step up, they're basically are saying, we agree with Peter. We agree with what he said. God is working. God is, he, he is confirming his ministry. God is working in Gentiles. And they go through talking about these multiple signs and wonders, which I would have to assume they're talking about chapters 13, 14, with the first missionary journey and how God worked in miraculous ways. They're saying, look, this is how God showed himself true in the early church. This is what he's been doing. Now, why don't we see those today? Why don't we see some of these same things? Is God limited? God is not limited. God can do whatever he pleases. But Hebrews 2, you don't need to turn there. Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And here's the key. Which at the first, at the beginning of the church, began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed, this is the key, unto us by them that heard him. That's what they're called apostolic miracles. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. God gave apostolic miracles. God gave them abilities to confirm a message and the messenger that we don't see like that today. That was his choice. That's how he set things up. Now we have a completed word of God that we can turn to and says, here's what God says. So they, we use this word uh, declaring. Paul, Barnabas and Paul declaring. That's a word that we use today where we get our word exegesis. Uh, I, I brought this up uh, previous and people did not, had not heard this term. Is everyone familiar with the term exegesis, eisegesis? Anyone not know these terms? Everybody's good? Okay, I won't spend a lot of time. This exegesis literally means to lead out, to unfold something, and that's how we preach. We want to take the Word of God, and we want to bring the text out. Here is what God says. As opposed to the eisegesis would be the opposite. Here's what I want to tell you, and I'm going to find a verse that will back me up, or I'm going to find a verse that I can make an application with that will back me up. That, that's, that's poor translation. It's not, what, it's not the way that we try to give the word of God. So they're showing what God did in these miracles and in these wonders. So we have Peter. He's saying that the signs and wonders that happened at Cornelius' house with the Gentiles, they're the same things that happened to the 120 Jews at Pentecost. And this same approval is being shown by Paul through Paul and Barnabas. And here's the point. No law, no ritual, no works. It is faith alone. That's the push. This the same truth of salvation by faith alone applies to our sanctification. You don't start with the spirit and end up working it through the flesh. You are it, it is by faith. And we don't ignore obedience. It's just a different mindset. I want to glorify God because I'm putting my trust in him. Obedience will follow with that. And that's what's happening 
with the, the arguments that Peter and Paul and Barnabas are bringing up. So that brings us to point C, God's future congregation. God's future congregation. Look at verse number 13. After they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon has declared how God did at first visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Before we go into this text, I want to point out one thing. Notice what what James calls him. He says, Simeon. Simeon has declared. Now that's his Jewish name. Makes sense he would use this, but... Notice what he doesn't call him. He doesn't say, the most holy father has said. He doesn't say, most right, never wrong, reverend, whatever you want to call him. He doesn't give him a title of authority. Peter was on equal playing field with everybody else. And really here, James is taking the lead. James is the head of the church. He's the lead elder of this church. So when we start wanting to say Peter was the first pope, This is 10 years after the church has started, and it's not happening. So that should tell us, and that's a side thing. That's not the point of this passage. So let's look at his statement. James here, he refers to Peter. But it's really Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. their, Their whole statement. And they are emphasizing their past experience of what God has been doing, of what he is, how he's been working in their lives. They're saying this. God is concerned with winning a people to himself. God is concerned about all, all the nations, Jews, non-Jews, it makes no difference. God wants to make Christians from these Gentiles. He wants to bring them all into one church. And James is, is saying this really clear as you read those verses. They're already saved. So your argument here about can they be saved without works is kind of a mute point. They're already saved. They didn't need rituals. They didn't need law. They didn't need works in order to be saved. All they needed was faith. So God's already doing what you're saying can't be done. So we've got a problem here. So James is already on board with this. But he doesn't leave the argument. I like this. He doesn't leave the argument just with their experience. He doesn't leave it with his opinion. Experience is helpful, but the ultimate reasoning has to come from the scriptures. Verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, we'll stop mid-sentence, the prophets, plural. And what he's going to quote here is Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. But he's saying, to this agree the words of the prophets. Oh, this is just one. This is one of many that agree with what's happening here. And this is not a fulfillment. It's not uh, this prophecy is being fulfilled with what's happening now. He's just saying they agree. The different prophets agree. And that word agree is an interesting one because that's where we get our word symphony. They're all just, it's it's a nice, beautiful, orchestrated thing. And the prophets agree. They're in harmony with each other. So here's here's the point that he's making here. The fact of this Gentile inclusion, this is in harmony with what Amos is talking about, which is an end-time prophecy. This is totally in harmony with the end-times events. And let me just push this again. When we have disagreements, 
The best way to handle these disagreements, these dissensions that happen within a body of believers is to go to the word of God. And that's what James is doing. He's doing and he's doing it wonderfully. Let the word of God be the deciding factor. Verse 16. After this, I will return. This is Amos. After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men, that's talking about Gentiles, might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who do all these things. There are some difficulties with this passage. People debate some different things and really what it comes down to uh, I don't spend a lot of time on this, but it depends on your, your, your outlook. If you're a millennialist, if you've got this idea that the, the millennium is, is, you know, we're kind of in it, not, gonna, not a big deal, however you want to word this one, an amillennialist, I have trouble with these words, will say that these verses refer to the church. Israel is, is they, they got rid of their privileged position. No, Israel no longer has these promises. And you have to spiritualize text to get there. You have to change things, which is why we don't do that. We would be the premillennialist mentality of let's take the word of God as, as literally as we possibly can. Let's say that it means what it says. Literally, there will be a future Jewish kingdom still to come. It's going to happen. That's where I would come down. We would say it this way. God isn't finished with Israel. God is still working in Israel. And notice he says, verse 16, after this. After what? After this period of Gentile inclusion. After the church age is what we would refer to it as. After this has happened, God is going to reestablish the Davidic kingdom. Jesus is going to reign. When that happens, verse 17, the Gentiles are going to seek after the Lord. They're not going to seek after Israel. They're not going to seek to become proselytes. They're going to have direct access in the millennial kingdom to Jesus himself. They don't have to become Jews. And here's, here's what James is saying. God has promised a place for Gentiles in the future kingdom. Why can't they come to him directly right now? That's his point. This can happen. They don't need to become Jewish proselytes. They're just going to come to him. So Jews and Gentiles both were saved by grace through faith apart from the law. That's his point in those two verses. Verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God doesn't get surprised. This idea of Gentile inclusion was not a surprise to God. God's not scratching his head and trying to figure out how can I make all this stuff work. Gentiles have been included in, in, in God's plan from the get-go. Gentiles have been being saved in the Old Testament. They were being saved in the New Testament. They're being saved today. Nothing's changed. The Jews had it messed up in their minds. Okay, I've given you a lot of facts. We've gone through these verses, but what difference does that make for us? How do we apply this? Your next statement, that application statement. Let's be careful not to put God to the test. Let's give grace to other people in these areas that are unclear. And this can be hard. 
When we hold a position that we see so clearly, why can't other people see it? Well, if it's doctrine, be dogmatic. If it's not doctrine, you better show grace. We have to. And let's be thankful that God has opened this door of salvation to us Gentiles, apart from the law, apart from works. We should be thanking Him for this. Jesus was merciful to pay the penalty in our place, and that makes Him worthy to be followed. If we're not following Jesus in our everyday life, we're we're missing the mark. He should be followed. Let's go ahead and stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, you you can't earn any part of it. You can't. There's nothing you can do. We are saved by God's grace through placing our trust, our dependence in Jesus' finished work that he did for us. If you've never received that gift, I would love nothing more than to help you with that today. That's what you need. Christians, you and I need to regularly, regularly... Ask our God to help us show grace to other people. He did that for us. That's what we need to do to others. And that needs to be a part of our makeup. And it can be hard. No one's fighting this. The Holy Spirit is still working in His church in the same way that He's working in us. So let's show that grace. We can rest in this. I want to take a few minutes if we could and just have a quiet time, please. And just encourage you to do business with God. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you, you delight to rescue people. I thank you you delight in growing us and changing us into the image of your Son. Lord, help us to, to participate in that. Help us to, uh, God, not try to frustrate your plans. Lord, I pray you would use us. and just ask for each one in here during this week, you would help us to have our focus on you. Help us to be looking for opportunities to represent you, to witness for you, to build those relationships. God, would you please in some way glorify yourself through our lives during this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.